Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to be with you. Welcome, my name is Justin, I'm one of the pastors here, and if you're just joining us, we are in a series we're calling Fundamentals, where we're going back and we're studying the fundamentals of our church, what makes Sacred City, Sacred City, and we've studied a lot of different things, we talked about our identities and our rhythms, we talked about God being a missional God, he has a mission to be known, therefore the church exists, we talked about Um, Last week, we saw that we come into faith, we come into the body of Christ immature, but we're called to grow up into maturity. And today, we're gonna be talking, we're gonna be answering this question. Who leads the church? That's what we're answering today. Who leads the church? Now, I'm just gonna let you know, this is gonna be a different type of sermon. I don't even know if it is a sermon, technically. It's, it's going to be a little bit more teachy today, okay? I'm going to be teaching. We're going to go through a lot of scripture. We're going to be going back and forth between a lot of scripture because I think there's nothing more important moving into a new decade of ministry, which is what we're about to do, than teaching our people the foundations for biblically qualified church leadership, okay? That's the goal this morning. So we're going to take a little time um, a lot more teachy. We pray that you take some notes. It's going to be important for you. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll get after it. Father God, first thing we want to do right away is we want to humble ourselves. We want to put ourselves underneath your word, that you are the God of all gods, that you are truth, that the only reason we can come to know anything that's true is because you've revealed it to us. We are like blind men who would be stumbling around in the darkness without your revelation. So thank you for giving us your word and the scriptures. Thank you for sending your son to show us what you're like. Thank you for turning the light bulb on in our minds so that we can um, apprehend who you are. We can come to know who you are. We can come to know your will. Father, right now, we all enter this room with all kinds of opinions. 
all kind of uh, notions of leadership. And we want to put all of those ideas, all of those opinions, all of those notions underneath the authority of your word. We ask you to straighten out any crooked thinking on us. We want to, you, you, scripture says that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts and your ways are above our ways. And so would you help us think your thoughts after you? Would you help us take captive all of our own thoughts and make them subservient to the will of Christ? Lead us into freedom, lead us into truth. Would you think through my vocal cords, or would you think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords this morning, Father God? Um, I need you and your people need you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, it's been said uh, by the leadership guru, John Maxwell, that everything rises and falls on leadership. What he means by that statement is leadership is the determining factor in the success or failure in any endeavor. Leadership is that important. If you want a business or a school or a team to be successful, it's not enough to get great employees or great students or great players. You must be able to hire and retain great leaders. It just so happens that one of the best illustrations of this reality, at least in my mind, in the last, is the last 14 years of dominance by the Alabama Crimson Tide college football team. Yes, boy, here we go. So about 14 years ago, Alabama hired this guy named Nick Saban. He had won championship before. He coached a little bit in the pros, and he comes to the Alabama Crimson, Crimson Tide. And since that day, by the way, they just signed an extension on his contract. So, you know, he'll be here until he's gonna, probably going to be 120 years old and still coaching. So all the Big Ten folks, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right? But here's the deal. The last 14 years, Nick Saban has coached Alabama to win the national championship six times and finished second twice. This has never been done before and has earned Nick Saban the title of the best college football coach of all time. Leadership matters. And this reality is not only true in business and education and sport, it's also true of the church. Did you know that before COVID, 85% of all churches were either stagnated or declining in membership? 85%. This number is even higher today, post-COVID. And that responsibility mainly rests on the church's leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now here's the problem. For most of us, when our lives are going pretty well, when we got some money in the bank and our relationships are doing pretty good and we can take a good vacation in the summer, we don't really think too much about who's leading the church. We don't think too much about who's leading the city or who's leading the state. But as we learned this past year, when something begins to threaten our way of life, then we realize how important good leadership really is. In times of crisis, everything rises and falls on leadership, right? And for us today, as our country continues to grow more hostile to Christianity, 
and it becomes increasingly difficult to live as followers of Jesus, we are all going to need good leadership to help us remain faithful. And God has given us leaders for that purpose. We're not all meant to be trying to figure it out on our own. Wasn't it a little frustrating to feel like you had to become an epidemiologist this last year? Like, wasn't that a little, don't we have people that do this? Why do I have to do this, right? It's really frustrating when you don't have good leadership at the top. Really frustrating. And it's going to be increasingly important for us as a church to understand the nature of leadership, understand who God has given us for leaders as we're stepping into a new decade and maybe in a decade that's, that's gonna be um, a lot more hostile than the past decade was to us as the church. So the first thing I wanna ask today, we're gonna ask some questions and we're just gonna go to the text and we're gonna let the Bible answer for us, okay? So again, all of this stuff isn't gonna fit neatly in your 21st century mind, okay? It's not gonna fit neatly in there. And the word of God shouldn't. The word of God brings conviction to every generation, every culture around the world. If the Bible doesn't offend you, you're not reading it correctly. The Bible offends every society in the face of the earth. Now, it offends us in different parts, different places, okay? Uh, I'm not gonna get into that. I wanna get into that, but I don't. I don't have enough time because I got too much to go on. Okay, so here we go. Who leads the church? As we already saw uh, from our, re- our scripture reading this morning, scripture shows us there are two offices in the church, two positions of leadership, the office of overseer or elder and the office of deacon or servant, okay? Here's what we say at Sacred City. Elders serve the church by leading And deacons lead the church through serving. Okay, we're gonna take a look at both of these offices today. First, let's zero in on this office of eldership. Let's open up our Bibles. 1 Peter chapter five, verse one. Open up the app, do whatever you do. I want you to see it in your text. It will be a little bit on the screen for us. Uh, Not that yet. Don't bring that up yet. 1 Peter 5, one. Now this is Peter the apostle, he's writing to a church, okay? And he's given some instructions into the church. Now, if you're familiar with Catholic theology that teaches that Peter was the first pope, okay, this is going to sound a little funky. Why? Because Peter was not a pope, ever. Let's keep reading. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Whoa, if he was the pope, he'd be saying, I exhort, I exhort the popes among you as a fellow pope. But that's not what he says. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now that word elder, it doesn't just mean older people, okay? It was an office from, borrowed from ancient Israel in the Old Testament. In the Greek, it is presbyteros. Who cares about the Greek, right? That's what we're thinking right now. Uh, I'm just not nerding out for you. There's really important reasons why we need to understand a few Greek words today. I'm gonna give us three or four, okay? Presbyteros, how many of you have ever heard of a Presbyterian church? You may have heard of Presbyterian? Presbyterian means elder-led. That's what it means. Presbyteros is an overseer, is an elder. So what does it mean to be Presbyterian? First and foremost, Presbyterian means you are an elder-led church. You have a plurality of elders that lead the church. Okay, it doesn't just mean 
old people. Um, Now, this is interesting. The most common term in the New Testament for the people who lead the church is presbyteros, is elder. Now, why do I want to tell, because why do I want to communicate that to you? Because what's the most prominent term used for an elder today or a leader of the church today? Pastor, right? We just say pastor, 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 even though pastor is only used one time in the New Testament. Elder, presbyteros is used the majority of the time, and then we're gonna see bishop, episcopos is used secondarily, <clears throat> okay? So, from 1 Peter 5, 1, and a corresponding scripture like Acts 20, verses 17 through 18, and verse 28, we're going to see that this group of people function, here's the big word, with plurality of authority. There, no one is the elder, Okay? He writes to elders. They function as a team together. Peter here, even though he is an apostle, he's a big A, capital A apostle, right? He walked with Jesus and saw the resurrected Jesus. He could stand up on his authority and go, elders, listen to me. The Pope's speaking, kiss my ring. This is what you gotta do. That's not how Peter relates to the elders at this church. He exhorts them, so he's giving instruction to them as what we call around here a first among equals. Peter is an elder, so he's on the same level as all the other elders, but he does have a unique level of leadership within the team of elders because he's an apostle. So we see the eldership in a church operates as a plurality of leaders, each one getting one vote, but are led by a lead elder who is usually the visionary leader. In our church, that's me. We say that I am the first among equals. What that means is I don't have any more power, I don't have any more authority than any other elder, but I naturally have more influence. Right? I started the church and, I pre- and I'm the one pro- proclaiming the, the truth and leading us in theology and leading us in doctrine and leading us in, on mission. And so I have, I have the most influence, right? My voice carries kind of the loudest in our church. So first thing we need to see here is the church is meant to be led by a plurality of leaders. It is not what has been made often in our society this corporate structure with a CEO at the top, a board of directors under him, and then all the minions out throughout the rest of the organization, just implementing his divine will. No, a church is distinct from other forms of leadership in the world. It's meant to be led by a plurality of leaders, okay? A plurality of elders. The next question we need to ask, okay, so if that's who leads the church, What are the qualifications of being an elder? Like, what does that actually look like? Well, we're given that in 1 Timothy chapter three. So open up your Bibles, if you got them, to 1 Timothy chapter three. Now, some of you are saying, oh, boring, who cares, Justin? Well, listen, if you're a Christian, you should care about this, all right? And I'm gonna show you why. Look at 1 Timothy chapter three, verse one. The saying is trustworthy. So trust this, If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, 
elder, he desires a noble task. Guess what? We all should be aspiring to be this type of people. We should be uh, leading and living our lives with the goal of being possibly an elder in a church someday. We should be leaning towards this. It's a noble task. Specifically, I want some men who feel called to be, an office, to be in the office of an elder or potentially be a church planter in the future to feel the weight of this and to aspire to that task. Put that on your vision board if you need to do that. Dream, your, dream into that. Think about this is the type of man I want to become in the future. And Paul gives us some very specific character traits. I'm gonna show us three things about the office of elder. It's gonna require um, good self-leadership. It's going to require good um, leadership in the family. And then it's gonna require good leadership in the church. All in that order, and that order is important. Let's look in chapter three, verse two. Therefore, an overseer, an elder, must be above reproach. Okay, now, above reproach does not mean sinless. We need to get that into our mind. <laughs> if that meant, if, it, if above reproach meant an elder must be sinless, I'm disqualified. And guess who else is disqualified? Every other man on the face of the planet or woman on the face of the planet except for Jesus Christ. Rather, what above reproach means is their life should be free of controlling sins, of unrepentant disobedience, of uh, their will set against the will of God, right? And they should be able to be corrected when they, when they, when they err, when they go off, okay? Let's keep reading. Here, he's gonna get into very specific things. Again, he starts with an elder must first lead himself well. Okay, that's a good principle for any level of leadership. If you can't lead yourself, you can't lead a family. If you can't lead a family, you can't lead a business. On and on we go, or a church, keep reading. An overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Now, this is unique. First off, it means a one woman man. That's literally what it says in the Greek. Now, when this was, for us, this is like, wow, a husband of one wife. Yeah, but when this was written, men could have multiple wives, right? And so, and actually, our society might be moving in that direction. And so it's important for us to come back to this and go, oh, so this is actually the foundation of marriage and the family. This is actually where it began, right here, the foundation of society. A man and an elder can have one wife. He needs to be a one-woman man. He needs to be sober-minded. means clear-headed, clear-thinking he needs to be self-controlled. So not, he's not dominated by his own emotions or his own or anything else. He, he has a strong will that he keep in self-control. Must be respectable. Not have a bad reputation. He must be hospitable. Well, that's weird. An elder, one of the things that responsibility of an elder is he can be hospitable. Yeah. He's gotta be, he's gotta have people into his home, welcoming outsiders into his home. Must be able to teach. 
This is one of the big differences between that and deacon that we're gonna see. The elder must be able to teach. Doesn't mean he has to preach up here on a Sunday morning. He might be teaching Bible studies or teaching classes or teaching a missional community or teaching one-on-one, but he's gotta be able to teach. He's gotta have a, a good handle on the word of God. Not a drunkard. Now, that, again, does not say he cannot drink alcohol. Says he cannot be a drunkard, right? Drunkenness is a sin. Drinking is not. He must, be, he must not be violent, but gentle. This is why I practice jujitsu. It's called the gentle art, see? It's not violent, but gentle. It's the gentle art. There we go. Not, that's a joke anyways. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. Okay, so all of these things are, he has to have good self-leadership. Now listen, every man and every woman in this building should aspire to this. This is what, this is the type of man or woman you should be, aspiring to have good self-leadership. Okay, secondly, he must have good leadership in the family. Look at verses four. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submission, submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Here's the principle. Um, an elder must have good self-leadership and then must be exercising good leadership in the home because the home is a microcosm of the church and actually it's a microcosm of the whole society. And if you can't lead well at home that people know you the most, then you have no right leading God's church. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said this. If a preacher's household is not in order, he should travel at least five miles before he preaches, and when he gets there, he should say nothing. <laughs> That's how important. Now, why, why, are we, why are we drilling down on this right now? Because this is the requirements from Scripture. In our country today, as long as you can talk and you can communicate and you can come up with some clever analogies and clever examples and you can get a band behind you, you can stand up and start a church. But an elder, a pastor, is meant to be above reproach in his personal life and his personal character and the way that he shepherds his family. That's prerequisites before gifted. And, and for the members, for the people who come and listen, you need to be looking, when you're choosing a church, you need to be looking for more than just the gifted preacher and a gifted stage. You need to be, what does the leadership of the church look like? What does his character look like? How does he lead his own family? What does it look like to be a part of that eldership team? What's, who's on that team? What's going on there? Because leadership matters. In our society, we think that only giftedness matters. This is why we get so many churches that blow themselves up from the inside or from the top down. Next, we need to ask. Okay, that's the church is led by elders. Elders have this type of character, self-govern. They lead themselves well, lead their families well. What do they actually do? What do the elders of the church do? Now it is kind of a rolling joke that many people think that I only work on Sundays. That I just get up here and just open the Bible and Jesus just downloads it right to my head and I just share it. Must be real nice. All right. Occasionally I do a wedding or a funeral and stuff like, wow, you had to work three days this week, huh? Like, 
I have not taken up golfing, okay? That's something I've never done. I'm not, no plan on doing it right now. I don't just golf all week long. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 to see what a pastor or elder is supposed to do. And you can bring those texts up now if you want. Those, that, there we go. 1 Peter is the one on the bottom there. We're gonna look at verses one and two. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be real. Look, here, here, here's what he tells them to do. Elders, do this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Okay, shepherd, that word in the Greek is poimen. That translated from the Latin is pastor. Okay, that's where we get pastor. A, a pastor is a shepherd. To shepherd is to pastor. So this is important for us to see. Pastoring is not a separate office from the office of elder. Pastoring is a function of the office of elder. An elder is called by God to pastor. They are to shepherd the flock of God. Look at what he goes on to say. He says this. Shepherd, pastor, the flock of God that is among you. Look, exercising oversight, exercising oversight. Now, this is what I want us to see here. The two main texts where uh, we have talking about the office of elders, the, both authors, uh, Luke and Peter, they're talking about those who are leading the church and they use these three terms interchangeably. Pastor, Elder, overseer, or some translations call it pastor, elder, bishop. Pastor, elder, bishop. Some people think those are three different offices of the church. They're not. It's all the same. Now, let me watch you. Let me, let me show you this from, this from the text. And I, I put the Greek words in there so you can see that I'm not, I'm not making this stuff up. From Milotos, he sent us to Ephesus and called to him the elders, presbyteros, of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you look. Overseers, episcopos, that's, that, sometimes that's tra translated bishops. To shepherd, poimenein, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So he says, elders, I want you to bishop and pastor, or elders, I want you to oversee and shepherd. See, it's one office of the church, but they're doing three different things. Now look, same thing in 1 Peter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders, presbyteros, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker of also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd, poimenate, the flock that is among you, exercising oversight, episcopontes, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. Okay, so this is one crucial point in understanding who leads the church. In the Bible, the term elder, pastor, and bishop or overseer are all used interchangeably to refer to the same people or the same group of people. There are not elders and then pastors and then bishops. There's an elder is a pastor is a bishop or elders are pastors are bishops. All right, you, you guys get that? That's key for understanding what, who leads the church and what their function is. So at Sacred City, we say an elder is a pastor. An elder is a shepherding leader, okay? They're a shepherding leader. And there are basically four things that a shepherding leader must do, okay? Here it is. They must know their sheep, 
They must feed their sheep. They must protect their sheep. And they must lead their sheep. Okay, we're gonna break down each one of these. One, they must know their sheep. Now, obviously, in order to know their sheep, shepherds must be with the sheep. Now, this seems to be so obvious to me. All of our elders at Sacred City live, are in a missional community. Okay, think about this. Every church, or nearly, nearly every church that I've witnessed a fall from grace from the leader, and the leader has imploded his life and destroyed the ministry, that leader, years before, took himself out of community. He was no longer, he was not in a small group. He was no longer in a missional community. He now became a CEO over the organization and nobody really knew him and nobody spoke into his life. Nobody saw his, was living life on life with him and could speak into the way he was leading his family, speak into his personal character. He had become a CEO separate from the sheep, right? That's a problem. The New Testament teaches shepherds must know their sheep. Also, for you, for the members of our church, this shows us why church membership is so important. The elders are called to know you, but we can't know you if all I ever see of you is right here or I shake your hand as you leave here today. I don't know anything about you. The Lord's call, he, he puts a big responsibility on the elders that we're gonna be held to account for the way that we shepherd and lead the sheep that the Lord has given us. We take that to mean the members of our church. In ch church membership, you're saying, I want to be known by these leaders and I want to be led by these leaders and we're committing to know you and to lead you. Every month, so our, our elders are all in missional communities and above and beyond that, our elders lead missional communities, but above and beyond that, our elders meet once a month in what we call huddles. A huddle is an MC for MC leaders. And so all of our elders lead a huddle. They pull together all of these missional community leaders and what, they're providing leadership for those uh, MC leaders, but they're also wanting to know what's going on in their MC. So how are your people doing? When you guys are having issues in your marriage, the elders want to know about it. When you're having issues raising your kids, the elders want to know about it. We're called to lead you. We're called to shepherd you. So we want to know what's going on in your life. Many times I've been shaking somebody's hand at the door and said, hey man, I'm praying for that decision about the job. And they're like blown away. Like, how did you know? No, Jesus didn't just download that to me right there. Your MC leaders told me, man, because we're shepherding people. Now, another thing that we do, our, our, our elders, every single Wednesday morning, 6 a.m., our elders meet together. We not only talk about strategy, talk about theology, talk about stuff going on in the church, but we pray for our members by name. We pray for you by name. We pray for your children. We pray for your marriage. We pray for your souls. So that's, elders should know their sheep. Secondly, elders should Feed their sheep. Feeding the sheep means to provide the biblical teaching necessary for each of us to grow up into maturity in Christ. Shepherds just don't let the sheep go and good luck, guys, go find some food. No, shelters take them off to different pastures, to different places. Shepherds know what they need and they go, okay, you know what? Our people need something different so we're gonna lead them over here and the shepherds are responsibility to feed them. And we already saw elders 
preach and teach. That means for me up here, I preach um, the majority of the time. I think there's about 10 or 15, 10 to 12 weeks a year that I don't preach. And usually an elder or somebody that we're training to become a pastor fills in for me. The elders also choose all of our missional community curriculum that our MC leaders have a lot of freedom to determine what and when they want to do things, but we oversee it all. We oversee it all. We oversee the Sunday liturgy. It's our responsibility to ensure that the gospel is being faithfully preached and taught throughout all the gatherings of our church. It's my great joy to feed you the word of God each Sunday. And I want to provide a well-balanced diet and so most of the time we go, we go verse by verse through a New Testament book and then we come out and we go verse by verse through an Old Testament book and then we occasionally do series like we're doing right now. It's more of a topical series to get us all on the same page. That this year I felt led by the Holy Spirit to lead us in a direction of gospel renewal. That we've been doing ministry hard and fast for 10 years and God's done a lot of great things through us but we needed to go back to some of our foundations and remember why we do what we do. And the Lord's been really gracious to us to add to our numbers since we've been doing that. I'm praying that he's gonna continue to bring gospel renewal for the rest of this year and prepare us for another decade of good gospel ministry. Now, third, elder pastors are also called to protect their sheep. Now, we do this by creating and maintaining a safe environment in all of our worship spaces We've got cameras in the kids' ministry areas. We do background checks on all of our volunteers in the kids' ministry. But it doesn't just mean protect them from, from physical dangers, but probably the greater threat is spiritual dangers. Look with me in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 28. Luke, writing to the elders over the Ephesian church, this is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves. He's saying, keep a close eye on your own heart, elders. Look, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Do you see what Paul says here? He says, pay attention to yourself and to your own people, your own members, because some elders and some members and some visitors can go rogue and become fierce wolves who want to devour the sheep and drag them off with false teaching. That they destroy the church by teaching twisted things to draw away disciples after them. That means part of our job as elders is to set the course for, for the doctrine and the theology of our church, but also to snuff out false teaching and to keep false teachers from twisting God's word and leading people astray. Now, this is hard work. It's 
really hard when we have missional communities and everybody's spread out and we don't, it's hard for us to know what's going on in that missional community all across town. This is again why we have huddles that meet with MC leaders to, so they can fill us in and okay, this guy's talking about this or this gal's leading people towards this way. We've had people come into our church and said, we don't like the way you baptize people, that we, you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We think the only way you should baptize people is in Jesus' name. And I said, huh, well, Jesus said that we were to go make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm kind of obeying Jesus by baptizing in the, na- in the Trinitarian formula. They said, well, we don't like it. I said, well, I don't like that you don't like it, but you can leave the church if you need to. Because they were literally teaching people that their baptism was false because they were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and not in Jesus' name only. Okay? Fierce wolves come in, they sneak in, they seem loving, they seem kind, they seem Christian-ish. And then they start dividing people. They start teaching false doctrines. They start saying things like the pastor's not preaching the gospel anymore. They start dividing people. And one of our jobs as shepherds is to shepherd the sheep and shoot the wolves. You don't pet a wolf. You could try it. I wouldn't recommend trying it, right? Wolves are trying to lead people away. So what are the elders to do? We're to rebuke false teachers and hopefully bring restoration and they repent and they're restored because guess what? There's all kinds of false teaching out there right now from critical race theory to Marxism to the prosperity gospel. There's all kinds of false teaching out there. And here's what's really difficult is you can get on TikTok now and get your theology from TikTok. You can get on YouTube and get your theology from YouTube, right? And there's a lot of preachers out there giving that kind of content. And if you just go to YouTube or go to TikTok or go wherever and just Google, what does the church say about this? You're gonna get a lot of different answers and a lot of it's going to be false teaching and heresy. Very few of those teachers come back to the word of God and point to scripture and say, this is what the word of God says. So elders protect us from harm by rebuking false teaching. Lastly, elders lead the sheep. Elders lead the sheep. Now, the Apostle Paul says, in the Corinthians, says, in, says to the Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Okay, follow me as I follow Jesus. So that's what all the elders of a church say. Follow us as we follow Christ. Again, all of our elders have been, they've went through a process and they've been approved by an outside process. This is another thing. No elder gets to self-appoint himself. You know what? Above reproach? (laughs) Well, that's me. Clearly that's me. Above reproach, clearly. You don't self-appoint an elder. When I wanted to plant this church, I moved away for a year and a half to be assessed by another eldership team. And those elders approved of me and said of me, 
you're ready to plant a church. When our elders wanted to become elders, they got approved by an out, the first elders, when we first started, got approved by an outside board of other Acts 29 pastors. And now the elders act as that body that now we assess people that want to come into it. No elder just gets to step up and go, yep, humility, that's me, right? No, somebody has to say, yes, we see the Lord working humility in you. We see the evidence of grace, evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you. We think the Holy Spirit, as it says in Acts there, has appointed you to be an elder in this church. And we see these traits going on in your life. Now, what does that mean? That means we have confidence to say, all of our elders follow us as we follow Jesus. All of our elders are involved in missional community. All of our elders give generously of their finances, which is usually above 10%. All of our elders serve the poor in some way in our city on a monthly basis. All of our elders love God. All of our elders love his word. All of our elders love you, God's people. All of our elders want those people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. These are men whom you should feel confident in following. And this is why Peter says boldly, likewise, you who are younger, likewise, you who are not elders, be subject to the elders. Subject? Be submissive to the elders. Listen to the elders. Follow the way of life of the elders. That means elders are called to lead and members are called to follow. Members are called to follow us as we follow Jesus. If I could flip back to 1 Peter, it says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then look, verse four, and when the chief shepherd, the chief when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What does that mean? We're all following somebody. And elders are called, all of us are under the authority of our chief shepherd, Jesus. So as we are listening to the voice of Jesus, as we are studying scripture, we are determining what God has for us as a church, we're following Jesus, we're submitting to Jesus, and we're asking the members to submit, submit to us. We're asking the members to follow us. And I'll be the first to say, follow us only as we follow Jesus. If I start teaching something that's not scriptural, don't follow me. If I start doing something that's not honorable according to the word of God, don't follow me. Or any of the elders at this church. None of us are to neglect the reality that we need leadership. We need elders to lead us. We are all being pastored by Jesus when we submit ourselves to the biblically qualified leadership of the church. Even the elders here, we see Peter as a fellow elder exhorting the elders. Even the elders are being shepherded here by Peter a fellow elder. 
Again, it shows us the plurality of the elders. That the elders, not, no one of us is qualified all by ourselves. The elders have to work as a team. We're all gifted in different areas and the elders bring correction to me and I bring correction to them and we work together and we're better together. That's the biblically qualified office of elder. But it's also a huge point of diversion from other forms of leadership. If you think about it, it doesn't really matter how Nick Saban leads. As long as he doesn't break any NCAA rules or doesn't get caught doing it, as long as he keeps winning national championships, we don't really care if he's the world's biggest jerk. I don't really care if he's an absolute control freak, which he is. Fred his biographies, right? I get it. He is, right? Well, guess what? An elder can't lead any which way they want to lead. Elders aren't just about results. Elders have to do the job God calls us to do in the way God calls us to do it. Look at what he says in verse two of 1 Peter 5. Shepherd, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, look, not under compulsion, but willingly. First thing we see here, the elders have a I get to do this spirit, not a I have to do this spirit. Elders don't lead from compulsion. They don't have to do it. They don't wake up in the morning, I gotta put my elder hat on again. Gosh, dang it. These sheep always need shepherding. No. An elder enjoys, and it's hard work, it's hard work, but an elder does it willingly. He's been appointed by the Holy Spirit. He's been gifted by the Holy Spirit. He's had a great responsibility, a great calling of his life. And so he's gonna get up and he's gonna lead today. Must do it. Willingly, not under compulsion. Secondly, he must do it not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now, this is clear. We have a problem with finances in our country. We worship money, and many pastors worship money as well. It's already said in the text, he shouldn't be a lover of money. Many pastors are lovers of money. Most of us probably struggle with money in some sense. But we even have a gospel called the prosperity gospel that teaches if you give to the church, God will bless you. And in the churches that teach prosperity gospel, it's not a surprise that those pastors drive Mercedes and Bentleys and all kind of crazy stuff. They, they're on TV asking for a new jet. My 10-year-old private jet's just a little rusty, right? I'm a king's kid. I can't be driving around and flying around in no 10-year-old private jet. I need a new private jet, right? That's shepherding for shameful gain, okay? That's shepherding for shameful gain. I could go more and more into that, but I'm not gonna. Lastly, not domineering over those in your charge. Look, but being examples to the flock. Okay, now we got, it. We got some work to do here. <clears throat> Toxic leadership is a real thing. But our society has made almost all forms of leadership into toxic. Anytime a leader gets out in front and says, follow me, toxic leadership. 
okay? That's why we're disintegrating all around us and going into our own little fractions all the time. We're told specifically to be examples to the flock. And this is what that means. A domineering leader gets in and grabs people, grabs sheep and throws sheep and pushes and drives. It's the way that many times American shepherds shepherd sheep today with dogs. Dogs biting at their heels and getting them where they want to go. We've realized already in this, in this uh, series a few weeks back, that's not the way Jesus shepherd. That's not the way the shepherds used to shepherd in the New Testament. Shepherds lead by being examples to the flock and being out front leading with their voice. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me. Now, do sometimes we have to rebuke sheep? Absolutely. Do sometimes we have to bring correction to sheep? Absolutely. Jesus does that. He loves us, so he disciplines us. Church discipline's a part of that, whatever. But the main way elders lead is not by pushing and bumping and driving. It's by being out front and saying, follow me. Look at my character. Look at my family. Look at my way of life. Look at the fruit that's being produced and follow me as I follow Jesus. That's how elders are lead. So the church of Jesus Christ is to be led by a team, a plurality of elders who shepherd the people of God into the ways of Jesus. We, we shepherd people the way Jesus tells us to shepherd people. Now let's look at the office of deacon. And I know I'm running out of time, kind of. There's not another service coming, so I actually have all the time that I need. So there's, there's that. Now the word deacon, deacon literally means servant. Okay, that's the word. The word deacon in the Greek means servant. That's why we say deacons lead the church by serving, okay? We see the beginning of this office of deacon. We see the beginning of it. It wasn't there yet, but in Acts chapter six, the apostles were preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit was building his church. Many people were coming to faith. And listen, guess what happened? The apostles weren't just preaching the gospel, folks. The apostles were also feeding the poor, and what happened was when, as they're preaching the gospel, there became a division because God was saving through his spirit. He was saving both Jews and Gentiles. And when Jews and Gentiles came into the church, guess what? All of their racism and all of their prejudices didn't just get wiped away. So when they stepped into the church, the Jews were more likely to help the Jewish widows and the Gentiles were more likely to help the Gentile widows. And the Gentile widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. And so they brought, this to the, the, they brought this to the apostles and the apostles said this, choose from among you some men of good repute. Basically, he's gonna go through the list of what it looks like to be a deacon, some good character. Appoint those men and guess what they're to do? Those folks are, are, those folks are to take care of the daily distribution of the food. And he says this, so that we, the apostles, can preach the word, study the word of God, preach the word of God and pray. So we see this separation right away of the deacons take care of the practical needs of the ministry and the elders study the word, preach the word, and pray, okay? And so that's what the deacons are to do. Now, let's, what are the qualifications for deacons? Well, let's go to 1 Timothy 3, and we're gonna go to verse eight. 1 Timothy 3, verse eight. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, so we're going to see here again, same, almost the same qualifications. Personal leadership, household leadership. Watch. Must be dignified, not double-tongued. Double-tongued means devious in speech. 
not addicted to much wine. Again, no prohibition here, no prohibition against drinking alcohol, just not be addicted to it. Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also, look, be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now this is unique. Look at verse 11. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now this is interesting because there were no requirements for the wives of elders. And if elders oversee the whole church and there's no requirements for their wives, why would there be requirements for a deacon's wife? Well, scholars believe because it's actually, it's because it's a requirement for female deacons. Likewise, women deacons. Like, that's what he's talking about here. Now, we have also confirmation on this in Acts, or I mean, Romans chapter 16, verses one and two, where Phoebe is called a deaconess of the church. New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner says this, it is likely that she held the office of deacon, for this is the only occasion in which the term diakonos is linked with a particular local church. So we're saying she, is the, she was a deaconess over the church of Ephesus, okay? So now this brings up a good question here. We see this, and I've been alluding to it, and you've probably been thinking about it, but here's one of the, the two main differences between the office of elder and the office of deacon. Number one, Elders must be able to teach. Doesn't say anything about that for deacons. And two, elders must be men. But deacons can be males or females. Now, this brings up a good question. Many people ask me, why can't women be elders? Now, many people think that this is discriminatory against women in a negative way. But that is just not the case. The Bible is not misogynistic. The Bible does not teach that men are somehow better than women. The Bible never says women can't be elders because they're somehow less gifted than a man. The Bible never says that men are better leaders or better preachers or better strategists or better at anything like that. The Bible simply states elders are to be men. They are to be fathers and husbands. Elders are to be men for the same reason that only women can be mothers. This is how God created us. This is how God set up his church. Jesus made our bodies he made the institution of marriage. He made the institution of the family. He created the church with his own blood. Jesus was a man. Jesus came and chose 12 men to be his apostles. And Jesus chose men to lead his church as elders. Now listen, don't believe the lie that says that this means that Jesus or the church is now misogynistic. Jesus loves women. He showed that in his ministry. Do you know that the longest recorded conversation in the Gospels was with a woman? A woman of ill repute? And Jesus did not treat her like the Roman Empire did. 
In the Roman Empire, a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. They were truly second or third class citizens. But Jesus, in his resurrection, who does he choose to appear to first? A group of women, that's right. You know what that means? Jesus brought dignity to the, you know what that means? This is so funny because you see this worldview work itself out. When the, he shows up to the women, the women see Jesus, the women go running back to the men and they tell the men, the men are like, mm. <laughs> ladies, <laughs> ladies. Here they go again, guys. Am I right? Am I right? Getting a little carried away? Uh-huh, right? But guess what? It was real. Jesus showed up in his resurrected body to women. He dignified the office or the, he dignified women by doing that. Even though anybody that was gonna come and fact check it, who, who saw him first? Who saw him? These ladies, well, we can't trust that. Jesus dignified women because they, had, they are made in dignity, value, and worth in his image. Now, he also chose Ladies to lead in his church as deaconesses, as we've already seen. In many, in the New Testament, you read a male's name and a female's name and the church that met in their house. Women were a vital part of the early church. They always made up more than 51% of the early church. In a society that did not value women, I'm gonna just tell you right now, women's rights come from Christianity. And in no other worldview in the world do you have women's rights. You can't get it from Islam. You can't get it. You can't get it from secularism. If we came from animals, we have no human rights. We're just evolved animals. You go out and look at the animal kingdom. Oh, I don't like the way they treat each other. Yeah, they're animals. <laughs> women and men. Women biting the heads off their mate. Whoa! Is that wrong? Is it wrong? Not based on secularism, it's not wrong. Based in evolution, it's not wrong. Why do women have rights? The only worldview that has an answer to that question is Christianity, because they're made in the image of God. That's why they have rights. See, most of the time, when we think that having only men as elders is discriminatory against women, it's because we're actually importing a worldly understanding of power and leadership. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That is not a Christian worldview. Our God is absolute power and he is not corruptible. In the gospels, the mother of James and John approached Jesus and asked, Jesus, I want my boys to have a special place in your kingdom. Would you let one sit on your right and one sit on your left? And Jesus is like, you, you don't know what you're asking. Yeah, we do. And Jesus looks at the boys, boys, are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Talking about his own death and resurrection. And the, these idiots, they're thinking through worldly forms of power. Whatever cup gets me in the throne room, I'm ready. Let's drink this cup. It's like, okay, you're gonna. 
not knowing that this wasn't securing him, securing for them a position of power and prestige. Rather, it was securing for them a place of suffering. In Jesus' kingdom, leadership is for service. Jesus doesn't come to be served, but to serve. Leadership isn't about power and prestige. Leadership is about suffering and sacrifice. So as God sets, God, for whatever reason, says the men, men can only be elders and those men are not called to lord it over anybody. They're not called to use the church to serve their own ego and their own power and their own prestige. Rather, they're to lay down their rights like Christ laid down his life for his church and serve the church in self-sacrifice. I'm telling you, the, ba- the, the elders are bullet catchers. That's what we are. We're out front taking shots from everybody, okay? We're not ruling for our own desires and our own whims and our own wishes. We're going to scripture and we're saying, I'm not listening to anybody else. Show it to me from the word of God. If you can't convince me to hear, then I'm not changing my mind. And we take a lot of heat for that and a lot of bullets and rightly so, rightly so. So I know this is not popular in today's society. But the scriptures are perfectly clear on this. Perfectly clear. Men and women are absolutely equal in dignity, value, and worth. But they are not equivalent. They are not the same. He made them male and he made them female. And that Distinction is a reality that our world is trying to deny. Men are not women. Women are not men. Men cannot become women. Women cannot become men. God made them male and female. God says men can be elders in the church if they meet those qualifications. Men and women both can be deacons in the church. And so at Sacred City, we're wanting all of our MC leaders to either be deacons or or growing into the deacon process. We have a ton of phenomenal female leaders in our missional community. Our church could not function without all the rock star ladies that we have in our church, right? Wow. (laughs) But also... Oh, and I'll go on. What else do we have deacons? We have deacons of, Joel's a deacon of worship. We have deacons of ministration. We have deacon of finance. We have a deaconess of kids ministry. Emily Arguello over there. Deacons, they lead the church through serving. That's what they do. They're leading key aspects of service at the church. And God has given us a group of biblically qualified elders that I would say, because I am among them and I do live life with them and I do see them, they are worthy to follow. And so, are, are you? Are you following? You're not called to lead yourself. You're called to submit to a local church and follow your leadership as they follow Jesus. Are you doing that? Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for the way that you set up the church. We would definitely do it differently to our own demise because we value pride We value foolishness 
We value half-truths. We value things that serve our own needs. But thankfully, you gave us your word to set what's crooked in us straight. And would you humble all of our hearts? Give us all humble elders. Give us humble deacons. Give us humble members. Would we all come to you and say, you tell me what to think. You tell me where to go. You tell me what's true. As Augustine said, we believe, we believe, therefore we reason. Therefore we know. We believe in you first. Father, I thank you for all the men and women that serve this church, and I pray that you would give us even greater fruitfulness in this next decade. As we come now to the table, once again, we we realize that the foundation of the church is sacrifice. Jesus, when he realized he's the most important human in the history of the world, he humbled himself. He took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that's broken for you and this is my cup. It's my blood that's shed for the remission of your sins. <sighs> Jesus loved us by serving us first. Our great leader, our great shepherd. Would we receive that body in our hands, receive that blood into our mouth this morning and would you make us more like him for your glory and our good in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Those who are serving, you come help me out this morning.